Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Layla Latif. I'm Lillian Crawford. And I'm Ayanna Murray. On the show this week, Dakota Johnson brings Austin to Netflix in Persuasion. Nothing proves more dangerous than family in Akiara. And on Film Club, we're looking at the film being celebrated in the latest issue of Little White Lies, Pink Flamingos. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. So Lillian, friend of the pod, friend of mine, um, we are very excited to have you on. One of the reasons was I was listening to your excellent podcast, Listen uh, Listen to Lillian, and you did a fantastic episode with Laura Venning about Sense and Sensibility. Fair to say that you're a fan of the Austin adaptation? Well, of the adaptation is is a difficult part. I think certainly of Austin, um, and we will have much discussion around this. And Laura and I had this great conversation about um, everything from sort of um, adapting Sense and Sensibility to thirsting after Alan Rickman to um, talking about Eve Sedgwick's essay, Jane Austen and the Masturbating Girl, which I highly recommend um, when talking about anything to do with Jane Austen and considering sort of repressed desire and and female sexuality so that was sort of the the basis for that conversation so um yeah it was a lot of fun and laura's amazing so definitely check that out she certainly is but what else have you been up to recently when we're not Uh, making you watch persuasion (laughs) um i'm currently getting ready to do um a screening of funeral parade of roses at the lexi cinema on um, the 26th of july um, which I'm very excited about because that film doesn't get screened that often. So I'll be talking a bit about sort of um, trans aesthetics and stuff in, in, in cinema and, and in sort of um, the Japanese new wave. So that'll be, that should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, I will be hitting you up for a free ticket very soon after this. <laughs> <laughs> Ayana, you are new to the podcast. We're very excited to have you on. Apologies if maybe this wasn't the most, uh, you know, wonderful selection of films that we've <laughs> ever had, but we're still very interested to hear your thoughts on them. Uh, but for people that don't know your work, uh, could we do a little intro of who are you? Um, yeah, so... Um... That's interesting because I'm still trying to figure out what my beat is, but I suppose something I did recently actually was a little essay about this recent TikTok trend about how um, Gen Z these days has kind of redefined the film bro as 
um, a man that likes anything outside of the usual Tarantino, Nolan, um, all those kinds of filmmakers. And the kind of film bro taste encompasses um, just anything foreign, basically, which is kind of troubling, um, to be honest. The kind of labeling um, international film as elitist is something that's quite scary as like someone who's who would like to see more young people engage with film outside of you know what you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe or whatever it is um so that was a little essay I wrote for The Face um last week or two weeks ago or something um more often than not I'm on like the celebrity profile interview beat currently I I usually um write some profiles for um GQ and W magazine so um one I recently did was with this like really wonderful actress called Mia Isaac and she she's making her debut this month with these two films called Don't Make Me Go and Not Okay and she's like 18 years old and she's like the sweetest person I've ever met and um, I'm just really excited to see what she does because she's really incredible in those two films but I've also done you know profiles with like Himesh Patel and um, Simu Liu was like the most recent ones that I've done so um yeah more often than not you'll see me just like having lunch with some actor (laughs) that's what I'm doing these days Christ nice gig if you can get it but yeah that 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 phenomenon of the film bro I find so fascinating because I think all of us being uh, women who have been film fans it is so common to just end up in what you think is a very innocuous conversation with a man and they discover (laughs) that you have some level of film expertise and it genuinely like it's infuriating to them i've been patronized by so many people when i have was just you, have you heard of this obscure indie director called quentin tarantino <laughs> oh my god yeah no they are many um... many a date with that line <laughs> yeah but it is strange now to be on the other side of the film bro debate where it's just like oh you know are we really saying that like julia ducker now is now kind of something <laughs> is it's for the bros god yeah and that there's some sort of like you know it's a wonderful thing if your favorite film is surfs up too or whatever what were some of the more egregious ones that you found diana it was weird because like the examples they were giving they were like really vague so it was like film bros when you want to watch a marvel movie instead of this seven hour polish film about communism or something like that it was it was like those kind of captions that they had on it but I remember one was referencing um, Climax, the Gaspar Noé film, which when you describe the plot of it, it sounds like really interesting. I don't know why people wouldn't want to see Climax when it's like about people getting, you know, wasted off sangria. Um, and there was, another, there was another one referencing, you know, Bicycle Thieves, which I thought, I mean, sure, but also like, I don't know why you're writing off bicycle thieves I think you know that's worth watching at least um so but it was this, it was these people who were saying they'd rather watch Marvel movies or a comedy and it's like you know there's space for comedies and like you know these lighter films outside of the things you usually watch so um yeah it, it's interesting how the window has kind of shifted I suppose yeah God, that is extraordinary. Climax. The first 10 minutes of Climax is one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's a shame it's followed up by more film. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Well, Gaspinoe is certainly um, an acquired taste, even I, but I'm going to disagree with you. I thought the Moore film was, originally the first 10 minutes is the best, but uh, there's some, there's something to be said for the rest of Climax, no? Is this going to be, or, or, or am I a film bro? Who knows? <laughs> Maybe you are, Leila. <laughs> God, that would explain why I've enjoyed the film Fight Club. Um, so, well, yeah, we should probably get started. Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. You'll receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to our Sony HQ page for a detailed breakdown of the plans. Now on to the movies. Eight years after Anne Elliot was persuaded not to marry a dashing man of humble origins, they meet again. Will she seize her second chance at true love? So, Lillian, we exist in a world where there have been several quite faithful adaptations of persuasion and that's not what this is would that be fair to say yes i think i should preface this by touching back on what i said earlier which is that i was sort of raised by my mother to believe that the words of jane austen are sacrosanct and cannot be touched in a way that is not to the letter faithful um i'm not sure i wholly agree with that i enjoy clueless a lot more than my mother does um, as an adaptation of Emma, um, because I think that that is a film that sort of takes the book and does something completely different with it. This adaptation of Persuasion feels like it's sort of putting its toe in the water of the book and then doing, and then trying to sort of modernize it, but never committing to that bit. So it never, it, w- w- things that could be quite fun concepts, like transposing the plot of persuasion into the idea of, you know, the, these sort of much-tweeted lines of, like, she's a five in Bath, but a ten in London, and we're, we're worse than we're I know, worse it's the opposite. That we're doesn't exes. make any sense. I don't know what I said. <laughs> you're a five in London, you're a ten in Bath. A it's ten an in insult Bath. to the fine people I, Bath. I don't really know what that means, and kind of had to look it up, um, because I didn't really know what all these numbers were referring to. Um, maybe because I've I've spent my childhood reading Jane Austen and not paying any attention to what's actually going on in the world. Um, but I I think that it, it it never it never goes all the way with that. Um, there are these sort of quirks, like having Anne Elliot sort of doing these Fleabag style side eyes to camera and sort of addressing us in a way that's very strange because of course um austin's books are sort of um give us a very unique perspective into sort of the the thinking of women and and the way that women um uh, her her contemporaries and and of herself sort of thought and had these desires and what they wanted out of relationships with men um whereas in this case we get a sort of fourth wall breaking almost Deadpool-esque sort of Anne Elliot, who is incredibly sassy and very melancholic. She sort of 
drinks bot- red wine by the bottle and listens to Beethoven in her room, which is ridiculous because how on earth would she do that unless she had like a pianist or a string quartet just like performing around her? Um, you know, I think those are fun ideas in theory, but they're just never executed in a way that feels consistent or justified. Um, so yeah, I I think that it's been really useful as a way of sort of thinking about adaptation and how the extent to which one is allowed to sort of play around with the material. Um, if you compare it to something like um, Autumn Deville's Emma from a couple of years ago now, um, it was pre-pandemic, I presume. It was right <laughs> at the beginning of the pandemic, That's I believe. Right. That was one of my pandemic watches. Um, and I think that Eleanor Catton, who did the screenplay for that, who wrote um, The Luminaries and is is a magnificent author, she so carefully adapted Austin's words for the screen and to make that a very tight, sort of snappy film. Um, I think there's a lot of issues with the making of that film, but the screenplay is pretty much flawless in the way that she sort of brings Austin's um, prose to, to life. And I, I think that in this case... It's just absolutely stamped into the mud. It's truly, truly difficult to listen to as a, as, as someone who believes there is great value in, in, in those works. Um, I'm not surprised to hear you say that. <laughs> I, had a, I suppose the kind of justification for all of the um, fourth wall breaking is that Anna Elliott is having to keep a lot of her emotions inside and not kind of you know, articulate how she's feeling to people. Did you, did that work for you at all? Or did you find it kind of grating? Honestly, because I have absolutely, I'm, I'm pretty much a newbie to Jane Austen. I've seen many of the adaptations, but the books I, I'm not really totally familiar with, except Pride and Prejudice, perhaps. So not knowing the source material very much, I honestly thought elements of it were pretty charming. I think like, We'll talk about Dakota Johnson, but um, I I love her as an actress, and I don't think she completely suits a period drama, to be honest. Um, but I think even she's so charming of an actress that I think even when she does these really strange fourth wall breaks, there is there is something quite charming about it, to be honest. Um, what I did want to say is that. Um, um, just about the screenplay i i think um when you're trying to incorporate these like modern day sayings um it just immediately feels outdated and the way that because i'm terminally online so i'm just aware of what the memes are these days but um not to be like down with the kids but um i think when you're saying something like i'm an empath like that immediately like dates you and it also um when pop culture kind of pulls from the internet it that immediately makes those sayings just uncool and um it just it just doesn't work when you're trying to pull from this kind of gen z vernacular i think um especially that i'm an empath line that that went that went through sort of you know like five transitions of irony that you know, the original meaning of that saying is just, like, completely warped to some, like, ironic different thing. So, um, yeah, I think 
something went very wrong there in trying to trying to update um you know the screenplay in terms of its vernacular i mean i think i liked it much more than a lot of people but i have to say upon reflection the bits i liked were mostly the parts where no one was talking <laughs> you know where Dakota Johnson is kind of like mournfully staring out to sea on a beach or she's kind of lying in like the dappled sunshine in a meadow um I guess one of the things that when the trailer first came out was people saying online that Dakota Johnson just doesn't read as Regency somehow like there's she's got a you know she kind of seems too modern she's got a face that knows what an iPhone is Lillian did she work for you at all or could you buy her at any point says Anne Elliot um it's a very interesting question. I, I, I think that Dakota Johnson, maybe m- more the fact that I can't get out of my head, the fact that she's been into Christian Grey's, like, Red Room, like, that there's a sort of, it, there's a form of sort of knowledge of sex that I find sort of doesn't really work for a character like Anne, um, that a lot of there's there's too much knowingness on the part of the characters in this. There's there's a bit with um, um, Nikki Amuka Bird playing um, Lady Russell, when it's sort of implied that she goes around Europe, sort of having sex with lots of very young men. Um, and I think I think that the 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 sort of the idea of bringing sex into um, into Jane Austen is is one that's been sort of debated a lot. As I said earlier, there, there's a great essay by Eve Sedgwick called Jane Austen, The Masturbating Girl, that really talks about sort of sex in Austen. And Andrew Davis has done a, tried to sort of bring that into elements of his sort of TV adaptations. Um, there's a dreadful version of Sanderton that sort of riffs on Austen on, on ITV that I think has come back for a second season, because as we all know, Jane Austen loved a sequel. Um, so I, I think that Dakota Johnson just doesn't really... <laughs> have the sort of I, I don't think that's necessarily a criticism just of her I think that's actually a, a criticism with casting of a lot of Jane Austen heroines someone like Anya Taylor-Joy or um, Gwyneth Paltrow as, as Emma Woodhouse I, I, I find quite baffling casting decisions I suppose that's that's more something that I sort of was thinking about um, in terms of sort of the historicism of putting especially sort of American actresses in these roles. Um, I think that the casting in this is actually one, is probably its strongest asset, particularly of the secondary characters. I think Cosmo Jarvis is an absolutely awful um, Wentworth. He is like a plank of wood the whole way through and has absolutely no charm or charisma whatsoever. Um, Whereas someone like like Henry Golding is is just extraordinary as Mr. Elliot. I I think he's, he really captures that character and the sort of the sliminess of the sort of distraction man that that enters in sort of um a third of the way into into an austin narrative and i i, I think he's re- he's really terrific there less so of richard e grant i know a lot of people think he's he's fun in this but i think he thinks he's in an oscar wilde play rather than in a jane austen adaptation but um yeah i think i think that the casting is is perhaps the thing that this really has going for it in terms of what it's bringing that's very new to 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 to, to adaptations of Austen. Uh, Ayana, do you feel the same way? This is, I suppose, um, she's called it colour conscious casting, which I hmm. don't understand why, because it's clearly colour blind casting, because no one's race seems to have any greater significance. Hmm. But did that work for you? 
Um, yeah, I think it. I think it did, honestly. I didn't mind Cosmo Jarvis that much, although I, under- I understand the criticism <laughs> that you're making, Lillian, for sure. Um, but um, actually saying that, I don't actually know if like um, him and Dakota had that much chemistry going for them, so maybe I actually didn't like Cosmo Jarvis in that. <laughs> but I also didn't like Dakota Johnson in that very much, so I think that's a, it's aimed at both of them. Um, but I think for, for someone like Henry Golding, for sure, I... I actually really liked what he brought to the role and um, I think, you know, I never really considered race in terms of the context of the casting. I, I, um, um, I just, I was just thinking along the lines of, I think in terms of who Henry Golding has established who he is as an actor in kind of the limited stuff that he's been in, he's just been established as this very, um, charming likable person and I like how this film sort of sub- subverted that with the sliminess of Mr. Elliot so I think that was an interesting term uh turn in terms of um who we know Henry Golding to be and how um he's kind of uh uh yeah subverted that so um I think certainly the um the casting has its charms to it I I guess it is just colorblind casting and mm. I I think yeah it has its benefits for sure and I as as a person of color I do appreciate seeing you know an Asian person I would I personally I would have preferred to, preferred him to be like a romantic lead to be honest because that just really speaks to me and I I really appreciate seeing Asian actors being um um you know romantic leads but um that's like a a minor criticism that didn't really bother me that much because I think Henry Golding succeeded so well in playing Mr. Elliot so um yeah that's what I thought yeah I mean we've kind of seen him as a romantic lead hasn't it and I've never really rated Henry Golding much before so it is kind of nice to see him kind of have a new uh have a have a new thing that he's doing being this kind of Austin douchebag uh shall we say that um I always admired so much in the Pride and Prejudice BBC adaptation um um, is it Wickham in that one? That I think is probably my all-time favourite <laughs> Austin performance. So we should probably get a move on and get some scores on this. Lillian, do you want to go first in anticipation, enjoyment and in retrospect? Yeah, so I love the book Persuasion. Um, there's a very good um, Roger Mitchell um, directed version which has um, Kieran Hines as a very very dashing um, Captain Wentworth, so I h- highly recommend um watching that instead so I suppose my, my anticipation was probably a three I usually enjoy these um these adaptations and then I think enjoyment while I was watching it I was just sort of seething so I'd probably go with a one but in 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 retrospect it's it's probably a two I think that that, that I've sort of particularly when I'm talking about sort of um some of the secondary actors I, I think I think that it's sort of there there are elements in this film that I think I would I would pick out to sort of celebrate, but that the, there's an awful lot more that I would I would condemn. I think. Well, can't get more decisive than that. Although I'm I'm impressed it managed to get to a two with you. I thought we'd kind of be in minus five zone. Uh, no, no, no. I'm 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 a reasonable woman. It's all good. <laughs> Ayana, what about you? Um, yeah, as someone who's not very familiar with Jane Austen, but. Uh, is a religious follower of Dakota Johnson's career. I was quite excited for this, um, but also had my reservations just for it being a period piece. So I think 
I had it at three. And then, um, and then, um, yeah, when I was watching it, I, I honestly didn't mind it very much. I thought it had its charms to it. And um, I, I wasn't really pulled out by its strange anachronisms at the time that I was watching it. So I would then have it at three, but on reflection and um, seeing what other people were saying of it, it made me think twice and think, actually, you know, it does have it does have quite a few problems in terms of its screenplay and in terms of its casting and how this whole thing has been conceived. So um, I would end it at a two. Uh, probably the the kind of damning with fate praised Defender. Maybe a two in anticipation because the trailer, which was kind of going wild on the internet for a while, looked absolutely dreadful. Um, and Persuasion always struck me as kind of a deeply heartbreakingly sad book and I didn't that was it kind of seemed like a very strange quippy comedy and all the promo materials uh probably three in enjoyment um I I just love Dakota Johnson in a way that makes me unable to be reasonable I suppose and uh yeah three in retrospect I kind of I you know I take issue with the idea of anything being like a fully sacred text that you can't play around with in some way but no this is certainly no masterpiece but I thought it was fun and um, as someone who is a five in London and a ten in Bath it was nice to see myself represented. Next up Akiara. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Akiara follows the story of 15-year-old Kiara, whose close-knit family falls apart after her father's connection to organized crime are revealed, and he abandons her in Calabria. So, Ayana, this is a third in a trilogy of Calabrian films, but um, I believe Kiara only has a very small role in an earlier one, but this is fully centered on her. What did you make of Akiara? Um, yeah, so I, I actually wasn't aware that it was part of a trilogy when I watched this film. It wasn't until reading it up afterwards that um, I saw what the connections were with um, his previous films, um, although I haven't seen them. Um, but I think, um, from what I understand, it's just uh, it's just a thematically connected triptych in terms of in instead of a you know a trilogy connected by plot in that sense. Um, so I think you know if you're if you're new to 
if you're new to this trilogy then you're not going to be lost when you're watching this film it's definitely its own standalone and I I think um yeah that was that was great and um I think it was definitely an interesting film in terms of its this coming of age story from the perspective of someone who's completely you know um clueless when it comes to who her family really is and it was it was interesting in terms of you know her coming to terms with who she is and where she comes from and um and that slow process of her discovering herself and um but it but on the other hand I think there was a sort of like aimlessness to it that I couldn't really glom onto even though that that wouldn't typically be a huge problem for me just because that just because I think you know immediately where this film is going to go once this um it begins with this um 18th birthday party that is you know begins innocently and I actually really enjoyed that seeing the dynamic between her family play out and there's this really great lightness and innocence to it with like you know this dance to Ed Sheeran and um you know is quite you know silly and light and fun and then is like jarringly cuts to to night and these girls walking a lot walking alone in the dark and there's a car bomb explosion and I think once that explosion happens and she's you know pulled out of this like happy reverie you know immediately like yeah so her family's in the mafia yeah so I feel like the journey of discovery it wasn't really as um engaging as I hoped it to be because you know exactly you know exactly who she is it's just you're witnessing her kind of agonizingly slowly discover that um so yeah Lillian what about you this kind of use of non-actors this near-realist kind of uh this style that they have that the director brings to it did that do anything for you yeah i think um we've seen oh like when this film started and there's a group uh, there's sort of kiara and her friends sort of all on a roof vaping and sort of taking selfies with iphones and i thought oh my goodness this is every sort of like director's fortnight sort of indie film that's come out over the part well since like um, Salian Skiama did Girlhood in 2014 just sort of a, a, a way of introducing to sort of the, these sorts of characters and I thought oh, okay I know what film this is going to be um, and, and a, 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 a kind of film that I, I generally really enjoy and will always go and see at festivals um, normally female directed so I was quite surprised that this, this one wasn't um, but um, yeah I think it then takes quite a dramatic turn into something quite different which I found compelling um, in a way that perhaps I wasn't expecting it to. Um, that that being said, it is quite a long film. It's, it's about two hours long, and these sorts of films would normally be a little bit tighter than that. And I think that that's that's the main thing that it sort of struggles with is is maintaining the momentum of when you sort of have this a, a sort of like momentous event, like like a car exploding or something like that in in a in a film that sort of sets itself up as being quite quiet and quite subdued um in a way that i really um really enjoy and and i'm always going to sort of find fascinating in sort of exploring these characters and where 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 their lives take them so it became a bit more sort of this is a ridiculous criticism but it became almost too exciting for me um i would rather these sorts of films sort of you know i i'm so much more interested in the character of kiara and she's played 
so wonderfully by um, Swami Rotolo. I, I, I think I think that she's she's a very compelling lead, um, but I'm not entirely sure that it managed to sort of hold my attention completely from 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 start to finish in the way that I'd sort of hoped that it would. Yeah, I did find the moment where I almost got the most excited was when the credits were rolling and I realised that so many people were related because they all had the yes. same last name. <laughs> and a similar thing happened to me in Licorice Pizza when I realised that that was actually Haim's parents. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is fundamentally um, a coming-of-age story, like a movement from kind of girlhood into adulthood and a loss of innocence. Did that, did that element work for you, Anna? Yeah, I think in part just because um I actually think like realizing you're in the mafia is like a is like a an interesting um sort of metaphor for for um you know adolescence and transition into adulthood just because you're kind of um you know thrust into this um scary situation that you were never prepared for. So I think it's an interesting analogy or metaphor in that sense. Um and I think, yeah, I think also the there's like a part of adolescence also where you kind of become to realize that your parents are perhaps not as a, I think there's, there, depending on your relationship with your parents, there's always an elusiveness to your parents where you never really, you know who they are, but you don't know who they are per se in terms of their history and stuff. So I think that was an interesting take on it, perhaps in realizing oh, my parents aren't this, like, you know, you know, happy, calm family who just has, like, fun parties and stuff like that. Actually, there's a there's a seedier thing going on underneath that I never, that I never realised. So I think that was certainly an interesting aspect to it. And I think that was definitely, you know, in terms of the angle that the story is going for, that's certainly an interesting way to approach a coming of age story um so yeah yeah I think yeah I mean Meadow Soprano kind of realizing her father was uh you know in the mafia is one of my favorite things in the Sopranos but um you know I feel like uh you were talking about this being a very much of a sort of film so for what other things would you categorize in this aside from girlhood yeah um, well, I, I mean, the the sort of films that I sort of had in mind are things like um, f- from something fairly mainstream, like um, Sarah Gavron's Rocks, or, or or something. I say mainstream, and like as far as sort of indie films and their reception goes, is what I mean in terms of, of how how much it's sort of picked up and talked about. Something like Girlhood, as I said, um, or um, there's been a few a few films. Sort of Peccadillo did one called Papicha, um a couple of years. It's a lot of these films have sort of really taken off with the with sort of straight to streaming releases i think that that you know this is a film that's getting a, a movie release and i think that that will that does a lot of good for films like like this that are only get released in sort of less than 25 um cinemas and and so on and i think that what these films do so interestingly is sort of question the limits of um, young girls in different in different cultures and in, and in different countries and in different environments and different classes, which I think is so is always going to fascinate me to see what that perspective is and and, and what sort of the limits of, of female behaviour are. And this this film sort of starts off with with Kiara sort of being told like you know she she can't 
it's not like vaping, is it? It's like burnt tobacco or something that she's that she uses, and like that's like absolutely not okay. Um, and there's all these these sort of moments when she's sort of told that that there are limitations on what she can do. And I think in in a very specific situation where it becomes apparent that there are more restrictions on her because she's a part of the matter is 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 so fascinating. Um, and I think that Mr. Scorsese might like to take note of that for the next time he makes a film um, and and is sort of claiming that he's creating interesting female characters that, that he might consider more sort of the impact of, of, of being a part of the, the mafia and part of a mob like this um, and, and the impact that does have on sort of, especially the younger women who are perhaps sort of very much kept at arm's length from from the actual sort of goings on that the men are dealing with. That uh, insult to Anna Paquin in The Irishman, t- take that very cold take. Um, <laughs> let's get some scores on this before we move on to film club. Um, Leon, do you want to go first? In anticipation, enjoyment, and in retrospect. Yeah, um, anticipation probably a four. Um, I I normally love these sorts of movie releases and think that they're they're generally very good um i'd say enjoyment's probably a three as i said um this is it is quite a long film um and i think that it does sort of start to lose its way especially into the second hour after it's sort of established the main premise i think that but it does sort of it, it could be tighter in 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 the way that it sort of deals with its plot um and yeah that, that that's probably how i was feeling afterwards as well um so retrospect three as well ayana what about you yeah for anticipation i'd say um it was a free honestly i i wasn't really too aware of this film except i think it was at director's fortnight if i remember correctly and um i I remember it coming out of there and getting you know pretty good reviews and so that was something i put in the back of my mind to keep keep my keep my out keep my eye out for and when movie jumped on this movie um it made me think oh this is this is probably something worth watching so yeah I'd have it out of free even though I didn't really have too many expectations around it um for um uh enjoyment I'd say a free just because um yeah I think you know it has something interesting going for it I I think it'll be more interesting um when if I go back to watch the other films in this triptych and and see how they connect. From what I understand, it's um, the director is looking at these um, different enclaves of society in Calabria, and I think um, there are parts of those previous two films that appear in this film, though I wasn't really aware of it. There's a there's a scene with um, these um, Roma kids, and um, she um, throws firecrackers at them. So there's this element of um, prejudice and racism that um, I think would be more interesting well, actually, it is, it is interesting in this film. But I think it'll be enriched from seeing um, Akiambra. I think that's the focus of that film. Um, so um, I think what I'm trying to say is that I think the aimlessness of it did kind of... It didn't really grab me that much just because I I think from the moment the car explosion happens, you know immediately, like, you know, where her family who her family's connections are so um I think you know the actress in it Swami Rotolo she she is she's actually really captivating and she has these amazing like piercing like wide eyes that kind of um observe and 
absorb everything and there was definitely an, an engaging element there but I I don't think it was enough to just keep me fully interested in the story so what I'm saying is my I've put my enjoyment of free and also retrospect of free just because I think my experience will be enriched by seeing the rest of the the trilogy of films. I think this is one of the most unanimous um, films I've done on this and I am also threes across the board aside well those Lillian's got a rogue four in there um yeah um it, it, it kind of it's it's very much of a type it sort of goes along pleasantly enough good performances I very much enjoyed kind of the use of um color I think it's an interesting portrait of uh, Calabria for sure but I mean there's I just felt like there's so many more interesting films that have been you know we've listed that um you know i'd rather uh, i'd rather revisit but you know there's sending a five to the fine people at movie keep up the good work with these releases next up it's film club notorious baltimore criminal and underground figure divine goes up against a sleazy married couple who make a passionate attempt to humiliate her and seize her tabloid given title as the filthiest person alive so some 50 years old if you can believe it um do you when was the first time uh lillian that you saw pink flamingos yeah um really recently actually um but I, it's a film I've sort of been aware of for a very long time. Um, there's a fun game. Well, I say fun. My idea of fun. Um, listeners may 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 know it or enjoy it. Um, where you sort of take the IMDb parents' guide and read elements of it to someone from sort of deliberate obscurity to more specific things to sort of try to guess what film it's it's talking about. And I remember someone reading me the Pink Flamingo's Parents' Guide, and all of these sorts of things about, like, fucking chickens and eating shit and, um, you know, sort of lip-syncing with an asshole and... and, um, that those might get bleeped. I doubt it. In 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 John, John Waters fashion, we should we should we should talk about these things in in the most vulgar terms possible, I suppose. Um, and I I remember thinking that that was a film that I absolutely never wanted to see. Um, so yeah, I think it's something I'd sort of formed an opinion of long before I actually watched it. Um, and recently watching it, I think that there's obviously an awful lot outside of those moments. And I think that it's the stuff that happens outside of sort of what's there to shock you is actually really, really great. Um, And I think that it's almost a shame that we then have to watch something like a poor chicken being used in a sex act, which is, which is horrible. I mean, I've seen John Waters talking about, about that scene where people sort of criticised it. I mean, I, I should say that I'm a vegan, so anything to do with animal cruelty, like, freaks me out, and I can't, I don't want to go near it. And I sort of had a more, moral issue of that, that John Waters said, like, you know, we were going to eat the chicken anyway, at least it got fucked first before before we ate the chicken. Um, I, I, I don't I don't really agree with the reasoning of that. But yeah, it's um, it's certainly a film that exists and, I'm glad, and in many ways I am glad that it does 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it hasn't lost its shock value. I watched it as a teenager and was just, and kind of knew John Waters as kind of a bit of a kind of kindly uncle, kind of sleazy uncle figure. Um, by then he'd gone pretty mainstream and, uh, you know, Hairspray was kind of considered a beloved folksy classic. Um, watching it again now, um, I thought it wouldn't, gross me out as it had done the first time but I still find it very tough going I'm good with scares I am not good with poo <laughs> Ayana what was your experience watching Pink Flamingos oh so this is really terrible but so this was my first time seeing Pink Flamingos and I think actually this is my first John Waters film so it was definitely an enlightening introduction to his films and I before that I only knew John Waters as this like you know pretty mainstream pretty just endearing but kind of weird old man and so it was really fascinating to see this like disgusting sleazy shocking film for the first time and to understand actually like who he is and what his uh what his art is yeah, I was. It was interesting because I I came in with absolutely no expect expectations, except that I heard that this film was shocking and was like banned in certain countries or something. So I was like, okay. And then the the first few minutes started, and it was, you know, it's divine, you know, saying that she's like the filthiest person alive or something like that. And I was like, oh, is this it? She just like lives in a trailer, I guess. Yeah, that's a bit gross, but not that bad and then and then it just kept going and I was like oh okay this is what she means by that and um yeah I I came in with no expectations and I got them completely blown out of the water so um yeah I I can't say I don't know if I enjoyed it I don't know what I thought of it when I like logged it on Letterboxd afterwards I just didn't put a racing because I was like I have no idea what to think of this film except that it just made me feel a lot um so yeah I don't know how to like rate it on a scale or whatever but it certainly made me think and feel and you know feel kind of disgusted by myself (laughs) for sure yeah I mean it's it's almost not to be enjoyed i mean it's kind of i mean it's very very funny i would say but it is it's meant to shock you it's meant to repulse you you are supposed to be disgusted by you know the antics that are happening in this very small cold trailer um but you know divine for me is just um i love serial mom very much and i love kathleen turner and that but divine for me is still kind of that is the best performance in a john waters film i think of his entire oeuvre um, you wrote a little bit about Divine in the latest issue, Lillian, is that right? Yeah, I wrote a um, a, a feature essay on um, Divine's sort of legacy and um, sort of Divine as 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 the man who 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 played the character of, of Divine um, and also how that character sort of injures in in different films. Um, Pink Flamingos is 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 as you as uh, I ag- I agree that it's uh, it's a hard film to sort of rate. Whereas if I was to sort of class like the the films that John Waters made with Divine that I love most, it would be Hairspray and um, and Polyester. 
um, which is sort of his his like nineteen eighties sort of bigger budget, more kind of lavish films. I mean, there's something quite like Circean about polyester. It's like this this sort of American suburbia like um, blue velvet type colors, and and Divine as this like incredibly glamorous woman, um, and and I think that seeing someone who isn't sort of like Natalie Wood's body type playing a character like that is 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 something that probably was the first time um, some someone someone sort of who looks like Divine was playing a character like that um, without there ever being a sort of joke about the fact that it's a man playing a woman or or any kind of humour around that. He just plays those characters without any questioning of the fact that when he is playing that role, he is a female character. Um, and I think that that's, that's something that we haven't really seen in any other cinema that John Waters films um, do. And I, I, I think that's what I tried to sort of get to the heart of in in terms of and and also those films are slightly more palatable it must be said like i didn't watch i haven't seen polyester with like the scratch and sniff cards that were given out because like when it tells you to sniff the card um in the film it's like at moments when it's like vomit or like someone's like divine's farting or something and it's like who who in their right mind would at that moment go oh yeah <laughs> i want to find out what that smells like um so I, I know that Pink Flamingos, when it came out, they sort of gave people, like, bath bags to, like, throw up in. And, and I, I think that any film that sort of elicits a very strong reaction like that is 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 worth looking at and thinking about. Um, and I think it, it's so great that we've had the opportunity with, with this latest issue to just really unpack all of those aspects of the film and talk about its legacy in a way that hasn't been done um, very often with with Little White Lies, because it's normally like a new release that we're looking at. So I, th- I think that it's really great that we've been able to sort of celebrate John Waters and all of these wild films that, that, that he's made throughout his career. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the sort of films where everything that happened around it is also so interesting. Everything from John Waters getting, I think it was $15,000 or something. And the only way he could get that was asking his parents. Um, and he, I believe he took it from them on the condition that they promised to never see the film. But also the whole construction of these Dreamlanders who were, I think, supposed to be almost like a, almost like a tethered of the... Uh, Andy Warhol factory group where kind of we are kind of their dark shadow people well were there any of the dreamlanders that stuck out to you Ayana in this of course I'm completely new to this so I don't have a complete understanding of um who the dreamlanders are but I'm assuming it's the entire cast um but um the I think it's was it Divine's mother or something in the film in the playpen at the beginning just like begging for eggs that was certainly interesting it it it's certainly I think like that's the first like introduction to like just the sort of like bizarreness of it all that like made me realize oh this is the film that it's going to be but um I think um she certainly stood up to me 
in her power of just sitting in her little playpen and begging for eggs. I think that was certainly interesting. I think um, the film itself, actually, I thinking about it, it did feel sort of ahead of its time and timeless in a way that it was talking about sort of the like, um, this is completely off topic, but the sort of um, hypocrisy of uh, like heterosexuality, perhaps in sort of the way that <clears throat> the 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 uh, antagonistic couple in it they they have these women in their basement and they're like forcing them to give birth and stuff and it and it did actually make me think like oh the, this sort of has like ties to what's going on with like Roe v Wade ver- right now and um and sort of the way that laws are changing in a way that um is quietly saying we're forcing you to give birth so I think that was um that did um you know elicit this reaction out of me that made me realize like how um just ahead of its time the film was in terms of what it's saying even though it's saying it in this very jarring shocking um disturbing way where it's just these like pregnant women you know screaming and crying in a basement and it was really horrible to watch but you know it kind of like speaks to reality in that way um so that was completely not answering a question, but it did. Um, I. Um... It's interesting. It, I should just put, say, like, it's interesting you saying that. Sorry, because like Roe v. Wade is what's nineteen seventy three, and Pink Flamingos is nineteen seventy two. So in many ways, it's very much sort of of its time. It's just so interesting that we're now sort of. You you can't believe that we're fifty years after this film's come out, and we're going back to having those same conversations that that, that are in this film. It's just absolutely horrifying that in in many ways as you say we've sort of you know reflecting on how things have changed and then in many ways we've you know sort of what shocks what what sort of is considered to you know very much in quotes woke and 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 cancel culture that people have been asking John Waters about a lot in interviews at the moment and 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 I think that you know in many ways this is a film that sort of came out at a time when there was as receptive an audience for it as there is now but maybe there isn't as receptive an audience as, as there is now maybe maybe you couldn't release a film like this now so, sorry for interrupting you i just wanted to take take up on that point it's very interesting the way in to looking at over uh, 50 years is such a kind of great unit of time of what has changed and what has set, stayed the same because you know john waters just got caught up in so many legal battles over this film and then last year my favorite fact about Pl- flamingos is that it got voted into the library of congress so it will be preserved forever and with like the Zarpuda film and citizen kane and all of those things um but it hasn't lost its power to shock Certainly, it doesn't feel like a. It's not a cozy little film, like um, and. Um... But I suppose I suppose the point is what shocks us now is different, perhaps. Like the the really gross things shock us, whereas like in Pink Flamingos and and in Waters' other early films, like the discussions of sort of of of, of queerness and and as and as you were saying, sort of um, the things about sort of the rights of, of women's bodies and, and, and sort of the autonomy of that. They, these are things that for many of us are, no, are not shocking at all, but um, it's, it's, it's horrifying that we are now sort of in a, in a social situation in this country where those things are almost considered 
taboo again that you can't talk about them in in the same way that perhaps we could have done if we were talking about this at its 40th anniversary that it, i think we could be have that there'd be a different conversation that john waters is having because he's got a new book out um that that really a lot has changed but different things have changed and that what what shocks now might be different actually to the stuff that shocked when it came out and Ayana, now that you have kind of enjoyed pink flamingos do you think you're gonna you know delve deeper into the world of the dreamlanders and john waters john waters his films has been on my watch list for a long time and it's been a really um embarrassing thing to say that i've never seen his films before so certainly after this i I feel I feel more than ready to jump into the rest of his work. I know he has like more palatable stuff like hairspray, so maybe that's a nice cleanser to to pink flamingos. Um, yeah, but, just some light racism in that one. Oh yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> um, well, like um, something like Female Trouble has been on my watch list forever, so um, I really want to see more of Divine actually because I think um, he was just so amazing in this film so um certainly yeah i i'm so ready to jump into this very weird world of john waters god and let me uh, you have to watch serial mom it really is just the wildest most fun time and nobody has sex with a chicken so that's great so if you've got thoughts on these films you can email truth and movies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at lw lies Next week, we'll be journeying to the swamps of North Carolina for Where the Crowdads Sing, rooting for Ryan Gosling in The Grey Man, and for Film Club returning to the place of Beyond the Pines. Thank you very much for tuning in, and if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were Lillian Crawford and Ayanna Murray. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Jake Cunningham. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.